This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Today is March the 11th. My name is John Dunn, and today we're going to be talking about a very exciting moment in the history of the no-kill movement. Hi, I'm Kevin Nealon. I'm here to talk to you about gonorrhea. And I'd like to talk to you about lazy ear. I would like to talk to you about infantile baldness. I'm Kevin Nealon, and sadly, some people will already have forgotten who I am. If you're wondering why you just heard actor and comedian Kevin Nealon say those things, then stay tuned. Now, next week, we will be announcing the participants for our upcoming episode, where we will be playing our version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Unrestricted grant money up for grabs for network partner organizations. If you were able to get your name added to the opt-in form, keep your phone close by. If you missed out on this one, don't be too bummed. You'll still get to play along at home, and who knows? We might just do this again. Although next time, I'm thinking... Yeah, Jeopardy, that sounds good. Now, to make sure you don't miss any future opportunities like this, please subscribe or follow the Best Friends podcast Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whatever your platform of choice. Doing so means you can get notifications when new episodes come out so you won't miss them. We have links to the program on all the major platforms up on our website, bestfriends.org slash podcast. Now, if you are a regular listener of the Best Friends podcast, then thank you. And you likely will have heard me say that we're stronger together, that when we collaborate, we save more lives and we can do it with less. And that is the core of what today's episode is all about. An example of this is what happened in one community when dozens of organizations came together. Today, it's more than 150, all part of the same initiative, the same coalition, driving in the same direction towards taking the second largest city in the country, no kill. This is just the beginning of something. It's just the start. This is co-founder and then CEO of Best Friends, Gregory Castle, at the launch party of the No Kill Los Angeles Initiative, NKLA. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Thank you so much for committing yourselves to this cause. We, together, are going to bring about NKLA. It was 18 months of work to that point, the forming of the core leadership of the coalition, the members, they were representatives from rescue organizations and shelter officials. It was collecting and analyzing data, strategic planning, marketing. And don't forget that the quote unquote normal day-to-day life-saving work was happening. And listen, I don't want to bury the lead. So here's Julie Castle, the best friend CEO to deliver the news. Los Angeles is officially no-kill. LA has become NKLA. I had so many people of my colleagues in animal welfare who said, you will never do this. This is crazy. LA is too wild. It's too much of a wild pony. And you're never going to get everyone on the same page. So how did we get here? How did LA close out 2020 with a 90.49% combined save rate? By the way, that's up from 56% in 2012, the year NKLA launched. Now, I have to say, I played a very tangential role in some of that work back then, but I was able to watch it all come together. And it really has been an unfathomable amount of work for so many people within Best Friends and across the community 
trying to rally a city of 4 million people spread out over nearly 500 square miles. And while we are so driven by data today, you might look at LA at a high level with some specific data points like per capita intake and budgets. But as we all know, a community and the road to no kill always means having to deal with things that cannot be captured in a spreadsheet. People would say, why why are you doing this in LA? Why LA? And my response was, it's America's second largest city. It has every demographic you can imagine. 25% of the population is below the poverty line. You know, it's got seven municipal shelters. It takes hours to drive 10 minutes. Like it has every complication you can imagine. And if LA can reach no kill, any community anywhere can reach no kill. And layered on top of that was the injunction and layered on top of that was the vitriol from the community. And we should point out that the city has been this close to hitting that 90% threshold for several years. 84% in 2016, 86 in 2017, 89, 88, and in 2020, finally crossing that 90% threshold. There is a huge amount of animal shelter and rescue history in LA, which laid the groundwork for the launch of NKLA. But back in 1971, get this, 111,000 animals died in LA's animal shelter system. 1971, 111,000. It's hard to believe. Best Friends co-founder Francis Batista, along with his wife and fellow co-founder Silva, were a big part in laying that groundwork. Things took off by 95. In 99, we held our first, the first Best Friends Super Adoption out there at La Brea Tarpas. We did those every year, two or three a year at times, all over the city. Uh, We had these, uh, the, the Lint Roller Party, which was a pretty cool event that hit its peak at the Hollywood Palladium in 2008 and 2009. Over the course of all of that era, you know, we'd built a presence, we'd made friends, we'd made enemies, but basically every time we did an event, it constituted a de facto coalition because we included everybody. We invited organizations to uh, adopt their pets at our events. We did fundraising for them. We gave them grants. We did a whole series of things that were intended to provide support and glue to the community that was incredibly fractured and very suspicious. It was a kind of a food fight all the time. And so the effort really was to try and provide some cohesion. And that really became a thing when Brenda Barnett arrived in 2010. This is definitely missing chunks of history. I'm kind of doing one of those et cetera, so on, so forth, yada, yada things. But Brenda's arrival in LA was a big moment. All of the pieces were beginning to fall into place. Brenda Barnett arrives with a consensus and support of the rescue community, the city services and all that sort of thing. Then various meetings and behind the scenes activity between then and December, rounding up a steering committee, modeling all of this on the work that had been done in at No More Homeless Pets in Utah. And at the time, it was No More Homeless Pets in Los Angeles. It wasn't NKLA. And there was, you know, found animals, uh, Stray Cat Alliance, Kitten Rescue, Downtown Dog, Fix Nation. There were seven altogether, including Best Friends uh, and, and Animal Services. And we held our first steering committee meeting in December. And I have here the flip chart notes from, <laughs> from that meeting, which I found in a drawer uh, over here the other day. And, you know, it's all... 
random things, you know, like let's get this person involved. N none of which actually happened, I don't think. But the thing was that this was a Gregory came in and did the presentation on the numbers from Utah. Julie led the, you know, the discussion uh, and, you know, you had a bunch of very skeptical people. But then over the next year, we had regular steering committee meetings. We involved more and more people. We worked out the, you know, how does it, does this work for you guys? You know, does, what's going to work for the LA rescue community? What type of incentives? What kind of grants? What sort of spay neuter? How do we target this? Put together this amazing document. We called it the brick, but it was a setting the scene, setting the, setting the stage. It was called the formal document. It was about that thick and it was maps and data and uh, demographics. And it was just an amazing effort to pull all this together that overlaid, you know, it was everything from car ownership, access to veterinarians, radius of this and radius of that. It was, it was a really in-depth study. And so that helped us to target the work that we were planning. So the NKLA initiative launches in the spring of 2012, this incredible new brand, striking black and white imagery, a unified look and message that the entire coalition could be a part of, all courtesy of pro bono work from a legend in the advertising business, Lee Clow, probably best known for the Apple 1984 commercial that introduced the world to the Macintosh computer, the Energizer Bunny, the Taco Bell Chihuahua, to name a few. Lee's a big animal lover, so he and his firm TBWA Shiat Day jumped at the chance to create another iconic campaign. This one, not selling Air Jordans or Gatorade, but instead promoting the NKLA initiative. This video, which we call the Manifesto, went out across the city to kick it all off in 2012 and definitely set the tone. We are the best friends of animals. We are a movement. We are a coalition of organizations and passionate individuals dedicated to making Los Angeles a no-kill city. Last year, more than 17,000 healthy or treatable animals were killed in LA city shelters. Each one an individual. Each one a loving pet worth saving. 17,000. That number should be zero. And it can be. There is a solution. But only if the people who care work together. Join us and help make LA into NKLA. Shelters were a big mystery, I think, to a lot of us. It was pretty bad behind closed doors. Pretty, pretty severe. There was a turnover of management because there was an animal rights group who took the tactics that they used to shut down animal labs. They took it on LA Animal Services and it was very draconian. It did make people leave. I will tell you, it was effective. It wasn't pretty. It was kind of made your stomach hurt. So managers just kept leaving. And finally, Brenda came in 2010 and she had a very different background than the other civil servant bureaucrats. Christy Metropole is the founder and CEO of Stray Cat Alliance in LA. Christy started the organization in 1999, and she was one of the original NKLA steering committee members. I sat down with her to hear her perspective on the story of No Kill Los Angeles. About 2010, I think, is when everyone went, we need to know what's happening in shelters. We need 
statistics. We need to know what their systems are. And that's actually when Julie Castle asked me to have coffee. I didn't really know her. I knew of her. I think I had met her. And she said, you know, do you want to be on the steering committee? And she tells a story where I was like, probably not. I can't be on another committee that doesn't do anything. And I was asked to be on so many committees where everybody just had coffee and talked about stuff and literally nothing happened. And she said, I promise it's things are going to happen. So I said, all right, I'll try it. Okay, Christy. So you try it, you join the steering committee, you take this plunge, I guess. Uh, and obviously there's a difference to what your experiences were with previous committees. And, you know, LA was not a stranger to attempts to, to get things going in the right direction. NKLA, not the first, but those didn't succeed where NKLA did. Why do you think that is? Well, I think there's a multiple reasons. There were others and I think they served their purpose because people were laying the groundwork for what was to come and things don't happen in a moment. They feel like they happen in a moment, but there's years of work behind that, that led up to that moment. Um, I don't think that they had a big enough organization to, you know, plant their stake in the ground and that's what best friends did. And that I think brought cohesion and it, it created the momentum for us to move forward. I think the collective was ready for a change and the collective was ready to look at this darkness in our history of what was happening in animal shelters. It was timing. It was the right people. It was the right bigger organizations with smaller. It was the right infrastructure and it didn't happen overnight. But there was an alchemy to it, for sure. There was an alchemy with the steering committee and the original members. It was a force. There was serious stuff on the table. There were real talks about what could be done and what needed to be done. There was a lot of digging and there was a lot of commitment on a lot of people to change things. I do believe that it was the collective conscious at that time that was ready to move forward and look at this darkness in our history. And we did it. And then, I don't know, it's like, everything is different now. I mean, I can't even believe the transparency of shelters. It's not perfect by any means. I know a hesitance from some organizations sometimes when it comes to coalition work can be identity. So concerns over fundraising, you know, how are donors and volunteers going to know about us? If we're all talking about this other thing, and especially, you know, NKLA as an example, you've got this whole sort of separate brand. Tell me what happened with Stray Cat Alliance over the last decade with revenue and volunteers. Did you feel that loss of that individuality? It's a really good question. Obviously, our donations went up because our donations go up every year. So I don't think there was confusion. If there was, it was minor I think maybe people weren't sure what NKLA was and you had to tell them. Someone said early on, you know, rising tides floats all boats. And I'm like, whatever, it's so silly. And it actually is true. Again, it's like our movement has momentum. People are in our movement who never were before. So no, I think it was all good. I think exposure and support actually helped everyone. Yeah, coalitions are funny things, I think. There are lots of best practices. We've got resources on our website. In fact, I'm going to put a link on the podcast website to one very good resource, which comes to mind. Uh, it's called a kit for building a coalition, I think. But as you say, some of it is just timing. 
but you're always dealing with individuals. And can you get everyone truly on board in a collaborative way with a willingness to change and evolve together? So, you know, it's not just John Dunn's rescue doing specifically what I want to do because I just like that or I think that's what's needed. You know, it's like, I feel like you you got to drop the territorial crap and you got to look at the data. You got to be open yeah. and, and say, how can I play a role that benefits this larger collective? Yeah. And I will say, just as an outsider, it, it always seemed to me that on the whole, the NKLA coalition had that larger purpose and the group was really bought in. Was that true? No, it, it absolutely was that. And that's why Stray Cat Alliance pivoted to um, to to intercede. And I think we last year we took 750 neonates um, by utilizing the public to foster them, people who found them. Not every one of those we did find fosters, but so we pivoted a lot. And I think a lot of organizations pivoted for the greater goal, which was, oh, it's, it's kittens. It's underage. Oh, that's who's dying in the biggest, biggest numbers by far. And we pivoted for that. Now I, I will say that, um, I know sometimes it doesn't feel like Shih Tzu rescue or small dog rescues like everyone, but if they stop doing their work, then those dogs would die. So I do want people to continue. The goal is to keep doing what you're doing and see if you can find the infrastructure to add on or pivot in a way that is more life-saving than what you were doing. So I was willing to do that and um, we did it. And it's funny because now we are really bringing back the targeted TNR and we've, we've been doing targeted TNR in Long Beach and Orange County and all of that, but in LA City, it's been obviously more challenging because of the injunction. Now there's a citywide cap plan and that's amazing too, because there's infrastructure in the city to be able to support that plan. So um, being part of a coalition, and, and I do think in Los Angeles, there are even bigger egos that's like egos on steroids and it, and it was done. So it, it's showing you that it really can be done. And yeah, we are stronger together but how do you stay together? How do you get together and how do you stay together? I think is the story of, um, of NKLA. And it's been hard. I mean, I'm telling you, it's not a linear line. It's been ups and downs and changes and funny things and strange things. And I mean, I'm not happy with everything, but I stuck with it because it's important that, um, it's important that the work gets done. Christy, I know it's been a wild ride the last few years, and there's so much, much more than we could ever cover right now. But is there anything that we didn't talk about with NKLA that you'd want to mention? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think I think oh, I will say a perfect example of collaboration was an infrastructure that Best Friends brought was the NKLA Adoption Center, which was a beautiful adoption center that was built for another organization that really couldn't fulfill its needs. And it was offered to best friends. And I thought it was amazing. Half of it were best friends, animals at best friends, Pult Plumelli Animal Services. And the other half were rescue groups. And I remember one year we had some cages and different groups got space. And I remember saying to Mark, we have to move these kittens faster. 
there's just way too many. And we thought of this back room. This is called Kitty City or City Kitty or something. And it was for coalition partners, kittens and best friends put a hell of a lot of marketing into it. They got adopted really quickly. And that infrastructure, that's what I'm talking about. You need that infrastructure. I really believe someone, it doesn't have to be, it could be anybody, but that's how we got so many kittens placed and we're able to keep safe at home going and moving and pulling. And what's amazing now that obviously closed with COVID and now the way adoptions have pivoted, I don't even know if there's a need. Everything we do is a virtual. We've done, you know, as I said, almost 2000 adoptions virtually, but how beautiful that it was there at the time it needed to be. And things change and things move and things evolve. NKLA was there at that pivotal time when it needed to be, to move the needle forward. I am certainly not in any position to comment on facilities or strategies with them or whatever, but I can say that I have a very special attachment to the NKLA Pet Adoption Center because that's where I met Hillary Swank. Yeah, it was like a Tuesday or something, I think, mid-morning. I was there to help implement some new software. It was very slow. And you know how there are those like amazing little spaces for the kitties up front? Yeah. So I had one of the cats out and I was holding him. And in walks Hillary Swank. She makes a beeline for me. Well, not for me, I guess, for the cat. She was <laughs> like, oh, my, look at that beautiful cat. My mom's looking for a cat. And I, I just sort of, I didn't know what to do. I just sort of handed the cat off. And so this cat's great, like a real nerd, um, <laughs> incredibly sweet and such a champion for the animals as, you know, so many of the celebrities are uh, in LA. It's just so cool. That's cool. I looked this week just to be doubly sure. And there are over 150 members currently of the NKLA coalition, just a bananas amount of organizations working together, communicating, supporting each other. And, and driving towards that goal of ending the killing of every single healthier treatable pet, right? Because we know 90%, we're not done. We've still right. got work left to do. So seeing where it is now, you know, you're an original steering committee member. You must be very proud. Absolutely. I'm, I'm proud of NKLA. I'm proud of our entire movement. I'm just proud of so many people and institutions I, I can't even believe it, like really, really doing things differently. And it does take a group of people who are willing to sit down with each other, who might not agree all the time, but you have to, you have to move through those moments where there's compromise and nobody likes to compromise. But really, we become very vitriolic and draconian in animal rescue has to be our way. They're doing it badly. And it's a daily reprieve to remember that the animals are helped when we come together in a real way. I'm not talking about patting ourselves on the back and making ourselves feel good. I mean, in a real way, when we come together to save lives, that's when the animals are helped. They're not helped by our bickering and our egos. I also spoke with Mark Peralta, but before we shift to that, I don't want to forget about this. And I'm here to talk to you about Common the problem with whole Canadians. Problem is getting there worse. There are too many whales. And worse. This affects but mostly you. That is actor and comedian SNL alum Kevin Nealon. And I'm here to talk to you about facial double-sided cat hair rollers. Don't just sit Complain. there. Complain. Can you be that Plastic selfish? Plastic trichinosa 
It's an unfixable People, problem. This was another very clever part of the creative for the rollout. I'm Kevin Nealon. There are a lot of problems out there, and unfortunately, we can't do much about a lot of them. But here's one you could do something about. Homeless pets. Spay and neuter your dog or cat, or adopt them from an animal shelter. It's that easy. Go to nkla.org to find out more about how you could help, and let's solve this problem. Let's make Los Angeles a no-kill city forever. By the way, we'll have links to these on the podcast website, bestfriends.org slash podcast, so you can watch them all with the accompanying visuals. And let me play one more for you, which might be my favorite. Anthem, as it's called, came out in 2015. In Los Angeles, more than 9,000 healthier, treatable dogs and cats were killed in shelters last year. 9,000. Loyal. Playful. Quirky. Brave. Fun-loving. Mischievous. Noble. Goofy. Genuinely good dogs and cats. 9,000. We believe that number should be zero. We believe we can save them all. We believe that by working together, we can turn L.A. into NKLA. Join us at NKLA.org. There are so many people who have been involved in this at various levels over the years. I mean, decades back, all the way through to today. But if you ask around, like I did with Christy, whose involvement was critical to the success of NKLA? Yeah, I mean, I think when Mark came on, it was like we were just like a rocket ship. We just started like moving quickly. That Mark is Mark Peralta. Today, Mark is the chief program officer at Best Friends. He's also a producer of the Best Friends podcast, but his first role with the organization was leading the Best Friends LA programs, which included a very key leadership role in the NKLA effort. Mark, so tell me about uh, how you got to LA. I mean, you've been involved in successful life-saving efforts in other communities, right? Philly and, and Reno. I mean, how did you learn about the gig? Like, what was it about this job that made you want to take a leap into a community that I don't know a lot of people really probably wanted to go into? In 2012, I was in my third year of working in Philadelphia. And at the time, I was the interim CEO of the Pennsylvania SPCA, which was headquartered in Philadelphia. And I was really looking for um, a next step in my career that was something that would be kind of career altering. Like I really wanted to do something big. I had a mentor that got me in touch with best friends. He had mentioned to me that they were doing basically, and I think he actually called it this, something to the effect of a moonshot, Los Angeles. Um, there's a ton of animals, six shelters, a lot of infighting, and they really wanted to go in and make the city of Los Angeles, no kill and in partnership with a lot of groups, which sounded really interesting. But for various reasons, the timing didn't work out. It ended up staying in Philly for an extra year. Now, the thing that was alarming, I mean, I was in Philadelphia. I mean, Philadelphia is kind of well known to have some pretty rough individuals outspoken. But going back to Los Angeles, where I had grown up somewhat in Southern California as a youngster, and all I really knew of LA was they seemed to have kind of a revolving door of leadership at the city level, and that the rescue community was very uh, vivacious and attacking one another. And it seemed like just... <laughs> 
they kind of ate their own there. I could tell that a lot of at least the folks at Best Friends during the interview process were really trying to prep me for how bad some of the situation is in regards to infighting attacks. You know, so I was starting to get a really good understanding right away that I was in for, you know, probably a very rewarding but very tumultuous next step going to LA. Well, I mean, a very obvious follow-up question to that is then why do it? Mm-hmm. I mean, was it just a career challenge? The biggest driver still for me today is just, it's more personal than that. You know, starting in animal welfare in 2006, I worked with an amazing organization with amazing people, but the thing that was very surprising and that has affected me to this day and will always affect me till the day I die was just the number of healthy animals that we were killing and I was killing on a daily basis. So that's kind of how I found the no-kill movement. I wanted to stay in sheltering. I wanted to have a big impact. And as much for obviously the animals dying, it was for colleagues of mine that when I look back on, were amazing people, but all dealing with that kind of trauma in various ways. LA, you know, is such a, it's a worldwide leader when it comes to the entertainment business or other things. So it was an opportunity to go into this major market and just knew that it could be a big springboard to really ending what that reality was for somebody like me starting as a kennel attendant in a shelter and the thousands upon thousands of people that were in the same situation as me. And I had an ability to maybe get involved in something with some people that could really start to change that momentum and change kind of what the future was going to look like for animals and animal shelter workers. So LA historically messy, uh, but at the same time, a lot of good work, best friends and others. I mean, best friends, Francis and Silva, 30 years they'd been working in LA, creating building relationships, creating hosting events. So LA messy, sure. Politics, definitely. But there was a good foundation of life-saving and and working together at least, right? 100%. All of the components to get LA to where they are now were there before I got there. Beyond what Best Friends was doing and the fact that Mission Hills had been up and running for almost a year at that point in collaboration to Mission Hills being a seventh city shelter that the city didn't have the budget to operate. And that's where Best Friends really kind of took a big step forward and actually operating a brick and mortar to support the city. But you had so many great rescue groups, so many great knowledgeable minds that could teach me about you know, the rescue community introduced me to people, so many great advocates. The city was on board. NKLA was the right vehicle to almost like a coach to some extent, or, you know, a really good partner. First off, let's recalibrate because a lot of what was going on in that chaos too was perception versus fact. What was dying in the shelter? What were the problems that the shelter were facing? What were the problems LA was facing? And even a lot of that narrative was coming from individuals outside of Los Angeles, you know, whether you know, chihuahuas are are dying by the millions because of, you know, Beverly Hills Chihuahua, the movie, or, you know, these were the kind of things that I would have to spend time on and a lot of time on when I first got there. So it was really just kind of recalibrating, figure out where we were for real, like what is the actual current reality of what's happening in the shelter system. All of the steering committee members had a tremendous influence on rescue communities, along with best friends, but with different groups. So really being able to start really setting and saying, no, you know, you know, 80% of the dogs aren't dying in LA Animal Services. Actually, it's only 30%, which is still not where we want to be. Only 20% of the kittens that were coming in were being saved. You know, 30% 
of the cats not being saved and having to get kind of cats brought into the conversation because a lot of the infighting and a lot of the miscommunication seem to always be around the dog situation in Los Angeles and the NKLA coalition. Again, it's like, it was like really kind of getting the players in place that all were there, all were ready, all had been involved and starting to just get everybody kind of working towards the same goal and really kind of agreeing on what that goal was, what it looks like, how we measure it. And then kind of just go into work over, you know, that next five years to reach this goal. So maybe it's the marketing communications person in me, but I have always been enamored with the branding and marketing of NKLA. Uh, I'm going to play several clips of stuff in the episode because it's it's not only good, but I think it, it's such an important part of this. So for people who are trying to understand how to launch something like this in their community, you know, rallying the support from the community, getting everybody together. I just, I feel like the, this area, like you can't sleep on it. You've got to put time and effort into the branding, the marketing, the communications, just like you would anything else. So from your perspective, how important uh, and critical was the NKLA brand to the success of this? I think the branding was integral and in at least accelerating what happened in LA and getting people on board from the start. It was so eye-catching and it was so on par with LA, even though, sure, Best Friends was going to be uh, one of the leaders in driving the NKLA coalition, without a doubt. And, you know, I think it's fair to say probably the main driver with a lot of strong support from other rescues. But if it would have been under the orange smiley face... I do think that a lot of groups would feel like, well, best friends would take credit for my work or best friends. That was also something I heard a lot about. So having a unifying brand like NKLA and the way that it looked, the black and white photos, they weren't prison photos that made you kind of bummed out. They were something that was more like, whoa, what is this? This is something I think I want to be a part of. And I think it really had a strong effect on a lot of coalition members getting on board. And it certainly had a huge effect on the community. It really got people wanting to gain the information of finding out first, what is this all about? And then they're finding out and like, what? 18,000 more animals in our shelters should be saved. Cats and dogs could be saved. Like, what can I do? And that was exactly what we hoped it would do. And it certainly did. As you know, I talked to Christy with Stray Cat Alliance, and she talked about how they played the role that was required of them. She only ever wanted to do TNR when she started 20 plus years ago. And here we are now, last year during COVID, I hope I get this right. I think she said they did 2,000 adoptions last year virtually. That's not a TNR only group. So it's a point that I'm not sure we really can reinforce enough, Mark, in this type of, of effort where you're using data and you have to react to what the data is telling you. And that data may not be supporting the strategic plan you've got in front of you that the board just approved. And there were a lot of program shifts like that for uh, NKLA coalition members over the last few years. Yeah. People were shifting like crazy. So found animals. Uh, found Animal Foundation or Michelson Found Animal Foundation, as it's called now, you know, they had adoption shops. They were already starting to do adoptions of city animals out of there. They formed, especially in that kind of peak time, they were doing nurseries for years. Heaven on Earth, which is another rescue, Kitten Rescue, who all had done kitten work well before this started, really intensified and started doing nursery work. The group that comes to mind uh, that was a steering committee member is Angel City Pitbulls, who obviously it's no question what they focus on, but you know they started shifting a lot of their work on uh, assisting kittens as well. And you were seeing that because we were all 
really taking in the real information and and where cats needed help. Um, so you were seeing a lot of the group shift, you know, towards, you know, not just helping street cats, which is really important work, but also, you know, taking portions of their time to help those street cats that are ending up in shelters because they really don't have traditional adoption wasn't going to be the way that you could get them out for the most part. So we needed that kind of support and the rescue groups and private organizations around the city really stepped up to meet that need. Coalitions work. And I hope that every person listening to this with an organization or not, start thinking about your community. Is there a coalition? Is there not a coalition? How could you play a role in, in either you know, bringing people together and starting to create that or maybe positively impacting uh, an existing coalition, getting involved? You know coalition stuff uh, as, as good as anyone, Mark. So what tips can you offer people when it comes to doing coalition work where they live? I think the lessons that I would and I, I constantly talk to other groups about because there's a lot of coalition work that kind of falls flat because it's they turn into kind of committee meetings where people are just talking about their own work. And a lot of it is because you definitely have to have a North Star. What are what is the purpose of this coalition to be very clear about the agenda of the work that's happening there? Because no matter who they are, if you're working in animal welfare, it doesn't matter if you're a private rescuer or you're, you know, an SPCA or Humane Society, you're busy. And especially in the rescue world, these are folks that are working other jobs, have families, and figuring out how to do rescue on the side. So I really understood very quickly that I didn't want to waste a lot of time. So really calibrating people to what is the whole purpose of what we're doing here so we know what we should and shouldn't be talking about um, I think secondly, measurement is big and some people get a little turned off by everything's about numbers. It's about numbers. Well, I'm an English major. I by no means, you know, is somebody came up and said, I love math and I love numbers and I, but I love impact. And that's where I've kind of been able to meet that. And I think if you're going to use any kind of coalition, small or large, you know, you guys want to see not only what impact that you're having, but that's also because you're going to make mistakes. You're going to try things that don't work. We did that a million times in NKLA. You just have to figure out as well, okay, that didn't work. So, and, and if you don't have measurements of success, it won't happen. And I think the other thing that's really important is, you know, a coalition is almost, you know, it's a relationship. So you have to build trust. You have to always kind of understand what's in it for everyone else, um, because it's easy for us as best friends to say, we want to make, you know, the whole country no kill by 2025. You know, if you're going to get people that are jumping on the bus, some innately will say, absolutely, they're already a part of the no kill movement. They get it. Others, they don't really understand the kind of ulterior motives or the fact is, is that is really what we want. And always, I would say, be clear about what your agenda is. And it's okay to say, listen, I don't want to talk about rescuing Wasa Opsas in this coalition. I want to talk about the animals that are, you know, really in need or the animals that, you know, we're, we're not as a community able to save right now and how we can do that. I think that's what really kind of kept the ship going in the right direction for NKLA, because trust me, we got steered off a lot because there was a lot of noise happening. But the fact that we were so strong in reemphasizing that we were here in this together because we kind of needed support for each other, too, because it was a lot of fire. A lot of times people having websites up about how you know much of a piece of crap you were and those kind of things were real things. So, you know, by building those relationships, you had allies to really kind of help you get through hard times. Um, you built trust with one another. You know, it's like any kind of team of whatever. It doesn't matter if you're a dancing team, a sports team, whatever. You know, you have a goal in mind. And if you guys see each other as a team and not competitors, 
that's kind of what makes coalition work. But you really have to have the purpose and how you're going to measure success figured out and then make sure that you just really spend a lot of time on the relationships. Reaching that threshold, 90% combined save rate, big milestone. But the ultimate goal, obviously, is to save every healthier treatable animal. And of course, sustaining the save rate. I mean, it's not a foregone conclusion. So what lies ahead for LA from here, do you think? I think LA has a tremendous amount of challenges still. So it's fantastic and terrific that they reached that 90% threshold of a no-kill community. There are still animals to be saved. Um, there is an unknown kind of budget. You know, you hear about, especially cities like Los Angeles, what's going to happen to their tax revenue if people continue to keep moving out of Los Angeles? Where is that going to leave the budget for Los Angeles? It may actually benefit um, some of our more rural areas because people from LA want to go live in Denton, Texas now, but it could really affect them. And I think the thing about a city like Los Angeles is it's really great to get your shelter to a point where they're achieving at least the baseline success of a no-kill community like LA. And traditionally, 91% of communities that reach that 90% don't backslide. And even out of that 9% that do, within a year, half of them get back to 90%. So you know, once a staff, once a community generally gets to that threshold, you know, they're not going to let things slide back. That being said, now you have huge sections of the community that absolutely could use your resources. One thing that is definitely real in LA is the scale of community cats, especially in places like I used to live in South Los Angeles. Um, there's a lot of continued support and need, even though there's amazing groups with tons of resources going into communities all over LA. I mean, it's nine times the size of Paris. It's a humongous city with a humongous population. The city of Los Angeles do not know what community cat programs look like, have not, you know, been able to really intersect with that at all. So there's a lot of uh, potential knowledge gaining with the shelter. You know, there's just still, even though things are a million times better in Los Angeles when it comes to, you know, the community, there is still a lot of upheaval and infighting that still happens, especially for Brenda Barnett and the position that she's in, that I think she's still going to have to fond off. She constantly has to defend herself because she wants to be more community shelter supported. And the city really kind of fights back on that because advocates want the shelter to stay in a traditional mindset. So I think a big fight ahead is helping the community understand like, no, 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 no. The community can be a bigger piece of this. It sh we should not be accepting the animal into the shelter that somebody wants to throw in the shelter because it's not always the best place for these animals. Sometimes it is, but a lot of times it's not. But a lot of the LA rescue community still are fighting against any kind of advancement in community-supported sheltering. And I think if they don't get there, it's just going to continue to cause hardship on the city shelter, the city shelter workers, and they're going to be blamed for things that a lot of times the community is strong harming them into not evolving. Congratulations, Mark. I mean, what an achievement for you, uh, every single person, shelter, rescue, community member, uh, through a, a lot of adversity. And of course, the hundreds of thousands of animals that have been impacted in LA over the last uh, you know, decade or so. Listen, I'm going to ask you the same thing that I asked Christy, which is, you must feel a huge amount of pride over this accomplishment. I think pride's the wrong word. Gratitude. I wanted to play my piece in something big. And I felt like I got to do that. Under no circumstances am I under the illusion that it was me that did it. Part of it is a lot of those long-term LA people quickly accepting me because some of the rescue community isn't super open to outsiders because we don't have the historical perspective. I'm by no means surprised. I felt like by 2015, 2016... 
I knew that we were going to get there, even if there was a, you know, a few percentage points and it took us a couple extra years, we were, we were, we were going to get there. So I never was surprised. I was able to play, you know, a very small part again in something big. And, and, you know, in fairness, I think my biggest gift that I bring is I'm definitely never the smartest. I'm definitely not the biggest visionary, but I tend to be able to identify gaps and identify resources, whether it's a group or a person or something to kind of start to move pieces around and get people bought into maybe adjusting. And I think that was probably the biggest part that I got to play in it. I'm super grateful for being a part of that. It's it's one of the highlights of my life. Los Angeles brought me family. Um, it, it enhanced my career. It kind of saved my career as I easily could have fallen out and maybe gone back running my own business or something like I was doing prior to my time in animal welfare. It brought me to best friends. It brought me a marriage um, and a happy life. It brought me the most impact I could have ever asked for. And it brought me long lasting relationships and friends. The thing that LA taught me the most is people sometimes are afraid to believe or they're afraid to put themselves out there, especially if they've tried stuff and failed. And that was LA's story. And bringing that kind of lesson that LA taught me has been tremendously helpful in my work with 2025 and now nationally. So I'm just grateful to the people, the community, and to the city of Los Angeles because um, you you know they've given me everything. The number of no-kill communities continues to rise as we move closer to no-kill 2025, and every life matters, be it in the biggest, noisiest, smoggiest city or in one of the least populated rural communities across America. But I hope you'll agree that the progress in L.A. is incredibly significant for the movement. And I know you join me in sending a heartfelt congratulations to everyone who worked so hard to help NKLA become a reality. The producers of the Best Friends podcast, Tawny Hammond, Amy Charlton, Bethany Hines, and Mark Peralta, And my name is John Dunn.